Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, please bless me as I preach to bring out your truth clearly and usefully for your beloved people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. The central truth of the New Testament, which was um, repolished to a brilliant degree in the era of the Reformation, is that our salvation is a gift. A gift that we do not earn, a gift that we did not merit, a gift purchased for us by Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for you and me, for your sins and my sins. It is a free gift, and that is the meaning, the very meaning of the word grace. And we see this coursing throughout all of the New Testament. It is by grace you have been saved, and not by works of the law, that no one may boast. It is by grace that you are saved through faith. It's therefore a false gospel, a pseudo-gospel, as church issue would later call it, a heresy, to teach that we earn our salvation by our own works. God's own truth says very clearly, don't try and earn your salvation. To do so is to insult Christ's own gift of himself and to render the gospel moot. But in our um, late and decadent age, we've taken this truth, this fundamental truth of do not try and earn your salvation, and we've distilled it, we've collapsed it simply to just do not try. Do not try at all. But I want to suggest to you this reading of the parable that we just heard, that these are not synonyms. Look at the condemned servant in the parable as sort of the arch evidence for this. What did the servant do who received the punishment of eternal darkness? He did nothing. He simply did nothing. I went and hid your talent in the ground, verse 25. He didn't even lose the money. Right? He just did nothing with it. And on top of that, he then falsely accuses Jesus, because of course in the parable, the master who goes away and comes back is a picture of Jesus. He falsely accuses Jesus of being a hard man and says that he was afraid. As a side note, there any presentation of God, any theology, any Christian book that you read that presents God as a hard man, and inspires fear without love, which is the kind of fear mentioned, I believe mentioned here, um, is a false theology. This is false accusation. But it is the case still that it was not trying at all that got the servant to be punished. And so not trying at all must be dissonant with the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Dallas Willard, a great Christian writer um, of the previous generation, said very well, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. And that seems like a subtle distinction, and it is subtle, but it's very important. Grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. We are not saved by our works, but the parable that Jesus teaches, hard as it is to hear, suggests, teaches, 
that we can forfeit salvation by not working. This is a paradox of the gospel, often neglected today. Participating in the saving life of our risen Christ Jesus includes effort. But it's an effort that's predicated on a gift. And also, let me remind you, it's an easy effort. Jesus says, fundamentally, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. It's an effort predicated on a gift. And the work is so easy, it's as easy as rich people making money. That's what Jesus is using as a picture in the parable. It's really easy then as now for rich people to make money. Money makes money. No matter how diligently I manage my personal finances, I am very confident I will never, ever, ever see a million dollars. You know those things on like your retirement plan that you put away and it's like, you're on target. So like here, mine's always saying, you will never reach your goal. <laughs> you will never hit the target. And it's like, well, okay, well, we'll see what happens. Jeff Bezos, on the other hand, makes one and a half million dollars every hour. Every hour. It's very easy for the rich to make money. And if this seems like a crude, par- a crude uh, reference point, it's actually exactly the reference point that Jesus is using in the parable. Because what we forget, because Jesus says you've been faithful in little, we think, oh, a talent must be a little amount of money. And we read this falsely, like some like American entrepreneur story. Like, oh, I just had $100 in a dream and I made a million. You know, That's not what this is. A talent of silver was 20 years wages for a skilled laborer. So in today's money, that's over a million dollars. So the master just hands the... The one servant, $5 million, the other $2 million, and the other $1 million. And it's actually the size of the gift that makes this parable make sense. It's an enormous gift. It's comically large. You would never in the ancient world entrust a servant with this much money. A servant could never save this much money on their own. This is, in fact, a picture of God's gifts to us, both by nature, our natural lives, and by grace what we've received as Christians. That much money makes money very easily. That's what Jesus is getting at in this parable. It's not an American entrepreneur story. It's not about your Herculean effort. The focus is on the size of the gift. We steward the enormous gift of our natural life, our bodies, our health, our vocation, our families, our land, our skills, by offering them back to God, by you exercising them with love for him and for others. We steward the enormous gift of the gospel of grace, the indwelling Holy Spirit, our adoption as sons, the forgiveness of sins, spiritual gifts, knowledge of the truth, Christian virtues that Christ himself is pouring into us. We steward these things by bearing witness about them with our lives to others, to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors. And I'm not using bearing witness as some sort of coy way of saying street evangelism, although that could be a part of it. I just mean bearing witness, your life itself being a testimony and speaking about who God is and what he has given you. Money, in the case of the parable, uh, is made by participating in the industry of others, buying a business, hiring this person, investing this, Spiritual money, in the, 
extrapolated out of the parable, is made by participating in the spiritual lives of others, by bearing witness to what God has done for us so that others can participate in it as well. And so we turn also finally to the reward in the parable. The reward in the parable is incredible, and I think we might miss it a bit because of our overly fixated on money mindset. The reward is not a pat on the back. It's actually not even the addition of more talents of silver. That's an incidental to the ancient leader, I think. They're sure, like, oh, five, five, two, two, whatever. The big part is that freedom is given. Being liberated from the servant class and entering into the rule of the master. That's the pay dirt of the reward, as Jesus' first hearers would have caught it. Jesus says, I will set you over much, no longer being under a stewardship, but over, and enter into the joy of your master. By carrying out our stewardship now as servants faithfully, we will be told on judgment day to come up higher, to judge even angels, it says in the New Testament, to sit on the judge's side of the judge's bench and rule with our Lord Jesus Christ as our head over the entire cosmos as God's own beloved children, beloved as he is beloved. Whether we stewarded five or two or ten or half a talent, if we do so faithfully, the reward is the same, the joy of the master. The reward is the same, and yet in another way, the reward is also different. For the one who stewarded five, received five. The one who stewarded two, received two, etc. What we see in this is that heaven is infinite bliss for all the redeemed. And yet somehow, it's still a greater bliss for the one who leaned into the gospel with more of themselves in this life. A picture of the five talents. Who exerted more effort as well. But it's so important to not lose sight that it is all gift, all the way down. The initial trust is gift. The reward is a gift. The relationship we have with God is a gift. To gather this all up, um, I want to close with the words of um, a man who's known in history as Mark the Monk, a 5th century saint, who wrote a book against those who think that they are made righteous by works. These are the words of Mark the Monk. Some, without fulfilling the commandments, think that they possess true faith. Others fulfill the commandments and then expect the kingdom as a reward due to them. Both are mistaken. Let me read that one more time. Some, without, fulfill, without fulfilling the commandments, think that they possess true faith. Others fulfill the commandments and then expect the kingdom as a reward due to them. Both are mistaken. Both are mistaken because it's a gift. Amen.